Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio Dispatches from the Verge. Today, David Morris and I sit down and discuss Barbara Brown Taylor. She's a writer, speaker, Episcopalian priest, and my favorite way she describes herself as a spiritual contrarian. Um, We we jump into uh, some of the ideas she presents in her books and how that's um, evolved and reaffirmed some of David's uh, outlooks. We talk mostly about learning to walk in the dark, an altar in the world, and leaving church. Uh, but she has many, many other books you can uh, check out at barbarabrowntaylor.com. But before we get into that, thank you to Danny West. He does all the editing and sound engineering on this uh, podcast. Thank you to Jacob Nedia at Monk Drums. That's what you hear in the background right now. Uh, if you want to learn more about Desert Rain Community, theruined.com is a place to go. Uh, you can also find more episodes of this podcast at drcrpod.com or whatever podcatcher you found this episode on. Uh, if you enjoy what you're hearing, please tell a friend. Word of mouth and social media really helps us. We appreciate you and let's get into it. Welcome to Desert Rain Community Radio, David Morrison. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, we are back in the podcast grind. Here we are. Weekly stuff. Um, Casting our pods here. <laughs> <laughs> so early on, maybe our second or third month of podcasting, we did a it wasn't really a series, but we did a a handful of uh, people that had been influential in your spiritual and theological life. And um, since then, we've we've uh, we did one other one, sort of a standalone. Um, what was the musician's name? Uh, I believe that was Rich Mullins. Yes, yeah, we did a Rich Mullins one, and uh, for whatever reason, those those episodes seem to be uh, pretty popular. And so we've come up with another, uh, and I meant to talk to you about this beforehand, but um, whether we do this maybe for the month of September or sprinkle them in throughout the, the rest of the year, but we're going we're gonna to do some more podcasts about people that have been influential in your life. And um, so today we are going to be talking about uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, um, author, uh, I think she says religious contrarian on her website. Oh, okay. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to pull that up and, and um, I'll read read sort of the stuff that she has, her intro on her website. But um, before I do that, maybe you can tell a little bit about how you first encountered um, some of her books or um, teachings and things like that. Yeah, for me, it was kind of late, you know, around 2013, maybe 2014. As you can tell, I prepared for this podcast. Uh <laughs> I think I came into possession of her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And I was deeply impressed by that book. I've read it probably four or five times. Um, and then and then read her other ones, Alter in the World, Leaving Church, Holy Envy, those, mm-hmm. you know, her most recent books. Yeah. So, and then I've read several articles that she's written throughout the years and, and then with the when I was a part of the living school with the Center of 
Center for Action and Contemplation. Uh, she was a, a speaker. Oh, interesting. At one of the conferences. I didn't know that. So, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, on her website says, hello, I'm Barbara Brown Taylor. I say things you're not supposed to say. And then at the bottom, it talks about uh, being a best-selling author. But this part's really good. She has been an Avon lady, a cocktail waitress, a horseback riding instructor, and a hospital chaplain. But her favorite job was teaching world religions at Piedmont College for 20 years. Yeah. Um, so she has a pretty diverse background and and um, sort of... Her, I'm not going to read it, but her uh, frequently asked questions. Uh, it's very Southern, so it's very like nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it basically says, I don't want to do your speaking engagement. I don't want to read your book. I don't <laughs> definitely don't want to talk to you one-on-one. -on -one. Go read my books and leave me alone so I can farm. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's no why I like her. <laughs> she has no interest in talking to you. Um, but it's much. it's worded much nicer than that. So that's how you know she's a... Yeah. A Southern lady. But um, so, yeah, so so I guess um, where we could kick off is is just, you know, what what was so profound uh, when you first encountered her work or or maybe not even at first, but just, you know, the profound ideas that that you've uh, gathered from her and, and sort of have informed your, um, you know, sort your your journey over the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, it was, it wasn't so much new and groundbreaking ideas. It was, uh, she's, she, her books are more of, uh, affirming mm. towards what I've already yeah, yeah. concluded. And, and I just, you know, I, I've read a lot of books <laughs> over the years. I'm a, that's an understatement, a, a problem. <laughs> there needs to be a 12 step for people that own and read too many books. Uh, and so I just, it's just my personal belief if from that experience that the book, uh, Learning to Walk in the Dark is a, is a modern spiritual classic. I think it's a book that mm -hmm. will be read, probably discovered and rediscovered right. over the decades. Uh, and I think it, it's going to have that kind of longevity. Uh, so it really spoke to my soul. Uh, and so what were some of the things specifically that, that were affirming to the to where you were at uh, it's walk. it's the dichotomy she presents at the very beginning uh to begin with she talks about uh most church experience and popular christianity mm -hmm. deals with what she calls solar spirituality and so her book is presenting a lunar spirituality mm. and so uh, that you know that alone already piqued my interest right and uh and so then she, and then she has a chapter, um, I haven't really seen an, a modern author, in my opinion, yeah, you yeah, know, of course, of course. really unpack and get John of the Cross, mm. particularly his poem, The Dark Night of the Soul, mm -hmm. usually uh, in, again, in popular culture, if, if anyone's even heard of him or read him, they, they immediately think the dark night of the soul is a is a, is a time of depression and sadness, mm. that kind of thing. And so she's one of the few modern authors who, who a, uh, did not call it depression and B unpacked it in a way where, uh, a lay person such as myself could understand. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. Cause definitely what, uh, from my understanding is, is, uh, John of the cross is talking about something much deeper than, uh, 
yeah, than yeah, a depression. Absolutely. Right? It has nothing to do. You you might like Thomas Keating said, you might be depressed right. while you're going through the dark night of the soul, or you may not be depressed, mm. you know. So it, it's 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 uh they're not con- connected in any way that yeah. in that sense. So yeah. And how did, do you remember how you discovered um her work in the first place? Was it from the the conference or was it before that, uh, like I said, I'm a book addict, so it probably came up in a Facebook feed or something, yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I really don't remember. So yeah. it probably was that. Yeah. Uh, someone in a, in a Facebook feed probably recommended it, or it was an ad, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because I'm not susceptible to advertising at all. <laughs> yeah, none of us. I'm are. a spiritual person. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, and then we we read it as a community. I presented the chapters. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't get a huge response from people, uh, if I remember right. So that tells me it's definitely a spiritual classic. Right. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, and that's kind of, and then since then, yeah, I've listened to the audio of it, read it, quoted it, meditate on it, that kind of thing. Well, I, I think one of the... Um, and went on to her other books too. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Her recent ones. I, I think one of the interesting things... Um, and, it, and this is for any author, but it, it's particularly true in this, this instance is, you know, reading that, that quick bio about her is, you know, someone with a diverse, it's one thing if you've been in, in, in the middle of the quote unquote church world your whole life. Right. But, but people that have, have ventured out in other, whether it's professions or, you know, their hobbies have taken them there or what, you know, whatever else you get to encounter the world in a very, <clears throat> excuse me, different way. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I think you and I have joked on it a lot, but you know, like a, a Catholic priest giving marital advice. Right. It's, right. Yeah. it's like, what, what, what the hell does this guy know? About? How dare you, sir? <laughs> I'm a man of the cloth. <laughs> you know, so I know we've thrown that exact. So that's like an easy example. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, but sort of, you know, on the other side of that coin is just people with having having a lot of different diverse life experiences can feed, whether it's, you know, spiritual translation. That's one thing you and I have talked about. I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the podcast per se, but just sort of, you know, you, you sort of have the high level academic breakdown of theology. Right. You know, there's sort of a middle uh, a middle ground where it's it's translating to the the next tier down and then um you know something we've talked about is like sort of another step down of like a, a working person's yeah. translation of theology right. and um and not necessarily dumbing it down but um no making it accessible accessible and approachable even yeah you know because i think even some of that stuff it it seems so far off that it's not even not even approachable, right. right? Like, oh, that's that's for those people over there, you know. That's yeah. for the people to have time to study. And so it sounds like um, this was kind of the the that step up for you is is making some of these things. You've experienced them in your life, but then right. being able to to fuse it the experiential and the um, I don't want to say academic, but the study yeah, side put, of it, being able to put put it into accessible language in a way that it can be communicated to quote unquote normal people, yeah. uh, people that aren't living in their heads as much, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, 
I do remember our 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 buddy Randall Parton mm. during that time on Facebook recommending the book or saying something about it, and one of his uh, seminarian, uh, I guess, professor friends said, I didn't see anything good in this book. It was just nothing there. And, and so that made it even more of a right. spiritual classic because that's somebody that's probably living in their head. And that, that is, in the, in the contemplative industry, uh, in, the, in the contemplative uh, educational uh, industry, I was trying to play on Eisenhower's military complex industry, industrial, industrial complex. complex kind of thing. Um, the, the, the common uh, pitfall, if you will, for people is they get too caught up in their heads. They've intellectualized mm-hmm. spiritual experience uh, for whatever reason, and, uh, and they just get stuck in the inside of their heads. Um, and so that's kind of a problem. Well, and I think it's, as an observer... I think for the con- contemplative stuff, it's almost, it's like easy to get there. I guess so. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and it's, it's, I don't want to say it's hard to practice because it's not hard to practice, but there's a certain amount of discipline to practice it. That's required. Yeah. Um, may, you know, maybe, maybe, a, a um, good example is like healthy eating. Right. Like yeah. there's, there's all these diets out there that you can, you can jump into. Most of them are fads, right? Like, right. um, but there's just like something simple about eating healthy, right? Like we know what healthy food is, right? Yeah. But it's usually um, green, green or Except for the snow fruits, cones. you know, if it, <laughs> or it's grown from the ground. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, but, but there's a whole different, so you can get in your head a, real quick about, healthy eating. Right. Right. Um, but then there's a discipline to actually eating healthy. Exactly. Whereas I think for a lot of people, the contemplative life is it's easy to read a book because then you're doing something right. So I'm reading a yeah, book I'm about accomplishing con- something. Yeah, yeah. I'm reading a book about the, the monk life yeah. or the contemplative life. Um, but to sit down for 20 or 30 minutes every day in yeah, silence, actually do the practice. <laughs> yeah. Where so- no one's going to, and not post about it on your stupid <laughs> well, or even uh, post about it, because then six months in, you're going to realize no one cares that you're sitting for twenty or thirty okay, minutes, yeah, yeah, and it'll dissolve it in itself. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> well, you still get some likes from people though, so and that little thing in your head releases <clears throat> dopamine. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, yeah, stop. Yeah, it'll take you from being a larper, a spiritual mm-hmm. larper, to uh, actually experiencing your spirituality. Well, I think too we've. Um, we've definitely talked about this, but all the practice in the world is only getting you ready for the real life stuff. Yeah, exactly. Which you is know? love. Yeah. And yeah. I think, um, which love will dispossess you. It will crucify you. It mm-hmm. will reduce you. Uh, and so, yeah. And that's kind of the, not the main takeaways, but some good takeaways from, um, Taylor's writing. Yeah. Is that she's, uh, she's talking about these things that, um, can seem empty, I guess. So kind of seeing it from the heady person side. Um, but when, uh, calamity or tragedy or whatever, you know, whatever yeah. it is, you know what I mean? Or just a mundane Tuesday, right? right like just yeah. A boring Tuesday. Yeah. I think most people don't, we don't, we're not, 
we don't know what to do. I think a lot of people in our culture are terrified of boredom more than anything mm-hmm. else. What do I do with my boredom? Uh, and so, yeah, they freak out. And people from a Protestant background, too, have difficulty. Because uh, if you have any kind of, if you grew up in, in any kind of Protestant church, then you have more of a rational, a rationalized faith. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more, because, re- you know, the Protestant Reformation is a product of the age of enlightenment, the mm-hmm. age of reason. And right. so, so they, they've been taught all their lives. If they've grown up in that kind of church, uh, to be suspicious of mystery, uh, to be suspicious of experience, uh, and that kind of thing. And so, so yeah, so it's, so the, when they encounter the contemplative, then they'll tend to intellectualize it and mm. that kind of thing. So, yeah. Yeah, and it, it's, um, I can remember, oof, and this has probably already been 10 years now, nine or 10 years ago, I went to, a, it was almost like a, it was a workshop, but it was only like a day long at one of the Lutheran churches here in um, El Paso. And I was actually pleasantly surprised in the sense that one of the speakers or one of the um, presentations was on centering prayer. Yeah. And very much, you know, and, and actually not intellectualizing it in right. a way um, and just presenting it, you know, as as I've heard you present it before, you yeah. know what I mean, for, for uh, uh, reference. But, um, and it just like sort of that, uh, I don't want to say an age old thing, but just when certain things, certain people and certain things start overlapping and, and, um, not that centering prayer has become pop culture, but it's more no. it's more aware of today than yeah. it was maybe 30, 40 years ago. Oh, yeah, ago, for sure. You know, and, and just yeah. witnessing that, you know what I mean, in, in a really incredible way. Yeah, and I doubt that the anti-Semite uh, Martin Luther would <laughs> uh, approve of that practice in Yeah, he's probably rolling over churches. Maybe, rolling I don't over know. You never grade. know. Every time I make a statement like that, I end up... <laughs> <laughs> end up being embarrassed. So. Um, I'm actually really interested, in, and I don't know if you're, if you'd be willing to talk about it at length, but I'm interested in the um, what the presentation uh, Barbara Brown Taylor did at one at the conference that you mentioned. I don't really remember. <laughs> I think it was. I think she was coming off of the same book, if I remember right. Mm. Learning to walk in the dark. So I think she, she talked about uncertainty and mm-hmm. uh, transition rather mm-hmm. than arrival. Uh, all those, all those themes that are in the in the book. Uh, uh, nuance instead of, you know, bright and sunny uh, answers to yeah. things. Uh, living in questions. Uh, that sort of thing and her own journey in that, yeah. you know, cause she's, she's got quite a, an experience of all of those things. Uh, you know, from, from what I remember, she grew up in a semi-secular family, you know, in the sixties, she's a baby boomer. Mm-hmm. I think she's 70 years old. Uh, does that make her a baby boomer? Yeah, I think uh, so. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then just kind of privately had an interest in Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and, and spiritual experience mm-hmm. and went straight away to college to study uh, religious, you know, do religious studies. Um, 
I, I believe she's an Episcopalian be, and became an, yeah. uh, an Episcopalian priest. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, and she waited tables in the, uh, a famous bar. She talks about it in, uh, I, I believe it's Learning to Walk in the Dark, or it might also be Leaving Church, the memoir that she wrote. Mm. Uh, it might be in that book, or both. Uh, right. Well, I was surprised, not to interrupt, but what a prolific writer she was. Yeah. Not surprised, but just the number of books yeah, that she's Yeah, and articles. And, yeah. And so she, yeah, so she uh, was a, uh, not, did I say bartender? I think mm-hmm. she was waiting tables. Yeah. Uh, at some famous underground, literally underground church. Mm-hmm. I mean, not church, bar. Mm-hmm. A little difference between a bar and a church. Right. Well, there should be. Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was, it was, I forget the name of it. The but guys it was, it was in charge of both of those are equally drunk, yeah. but there should be a difference. I, if I remember right, you had to go underground, under Georgia, okay. uh, and and access this place. So it was kind of an interest. And I think, if I remember right, I might be splicing stories here. Uh, it had a ship underground, too, like an oh, old wow. ship. and So it's kind of a famous yeah, yeah. bar. I think it's closed since. Uh, so anyway, and that's what she did during... Uh, her college years, you know, okay. yeah, to yeah. pay for college, that kind of thing. Um, and so, yeah, so then her, her desire was to first have an urban street ministry mm. and, and then God answered that prayer. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> Showed her what that was all yeah, about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And just the exhaustion that occurred, yeah. you know, that came from there. Uh, she and her husband were just completely exhausted from uh, an urban an urban church setting kind of thing. So I think, you know, she's kind of burned out and found a country church, I think in Clarksville or something. Isn't every town in the I South think every, called Clarksville? The Midwest and the South all have at least yeah. one Clarksville. <laughs> so she took over this and it was a dream. That That's what I, that's what impresses me about her. She got the dream that she wanted. She wanted to be a, a pastor of a, of a, a urban street ministering yeah. church, then that killed her. And then she wanted to, to have a quaint country, countrified kind of church. Mm. She got that. Uh, then she wanted to be kind of a church growth pastor. She kind of got caught up in the eighties, nineties. Uh, that's how I was trained. Yep. It's all about church growth. When we talked about that last week yeah. on the transition podcast. And so she did. So they're building buildings and they're doing the thing and boom, burnout. And so, uh, so then she became a professor, mm. uh, and I think had either is still doing that or has retired no, since. Yeah. She retired. I think it said on the little thing I was reading, um, just a few minutes ago, she retired in 2017. So she, yeah. So like as a result, she fell into months. the contemplative, right? And she fell into these things as a result of, uh, just being poured out completely, you know, so in every way imaginable. And she, and it was the desire of her heart. So mm-hmm. that's what's, that. that's what really impresses me. Well, I, I think too, um, cause there's that, that easy saying like, uh, what is it? An empty cup can't pour to another or whatever, you oh, know, okay, kind of yeah. that idea of like uh, the idea of burnout, right? Like right, right. if you're not, if you're not able to feed yourself, um, spiritually or, emotionally you know what i mean um and and i think that's where sort of self-care does get it right in the sense of like if you need to go to therapy go to therapy right like if you need to you know if you need to take a day off take that day off you know what i mean and um but it's so interesting to to hear about that transition 
of those different milestones in, in the sense of like hitting those dream, right. you know, and, and then still, but still getting to the point where it's like, Oh, this isn't it. Yeah. And having to let go of like being okay to let go of that. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of people, um, well, I can't say that, but there are definitely people out there that are like, Oh, well this, this was the dream. So I got to hold on to it. Right. In a very like, whether it's toxic to the people around them or it ends up, you know, Right, killing them or or having some kind of physical or emotional breakdown that can that can manifest in that. Well, it's interesting in her story. She tells uh, her husband in the process uh, on his on the farm that they live on. Uh, I, I don't think it's a, it was a one time thing, but he hosted a, a, a Native American group to do ceremony there on their property on their land, and and just how uh deeply impacted she was by that uh you know just uh the anti-institutional not anti-institutional the lack of institution mm-hmm. and the and and therefore the increase of spirituality the sense of groundedness to the earth connectedness to each other it was she you know she saw authentic and real mm-hmm. community and authentic spirituality taking place and uh and that got her seeking uh rediscovering the 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 power of incarnation in someone's life you know right uh, that there is no division between secular and holy uh you know uh simple acts of kindness are are holy acts they don't need to be labeled as such you know <laughs> that right. kind of thing and so yeah well and that i mean it's funny because i guess societally we do put those differentiations up right right between secular and holy and they're just um an illusion yeah it's a construct yeah but it's still funny how deeply ingrained that is in our uh whether it's an individual psyche or even you know even bigger i I don't know if it's a societal it's ingrained in the societal psyche right yeah, I think it's a human thing, you know. You're not to wrestle in a sacred place, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and so, yeah. Well, it's always funny to, and I, I can't remember when this started, but, you know, within, let's say, the last five or ten years, anytime I'm in a, a church setting, which isn't often, but I always get a lot of joy when there's kids running around and laughing, you know what I mean, and ha- like, You can hear them enjoying life, right? Right, right. But then you can also feel the tension of the people judging that as not supposed to be going on. Yeah, it's not appropriate. (laughs) Like, can't people get get, uh, control of their kids? Yeah, in our (laughs) days, we controlled our kids. Gave them cough syrup before church. (laughs) And so it's such a, it's a, it's a tension that I enjoy sitting in because it's like these these kids get it like they're in a sacred right. sacred space and they're enjoying it right exactly um, but then there's the ingrained yeah uh, idea of like oh this isn't supposed to be going on and just just the because the you it's a physical tension like you can feel it in the air yeah when that kind of stuff is uh, no we had uh, our daughter Anna was in for pre K we had her at a Catholic school the one uh-huh. I, I went to. Oh really? And yeah, Holy oh, I Trinity. Didn't know that. 
And uh, yeah, the, the pre-K kids got in trouble. The whole class got in trouble for making too much noise during mass. And it's just like, how dumb that is. You invited them. Pre-K is what, like four-year-olds? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, pre-kindergarten. And they expected these kids to sit there quietly during uh, mass. And it's just so dumb, you know. Just no offense to anybody, but it's dumb. Yeah. Yeah, for it's you know because what mass is usually about an hour, so yeah, and you it's, might get fifteen minutes yeah. out of a, out of a pre K kid. And <laughs> it's a long hour too. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> um, so getting back to uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, I I guess um, I've noticed in maybe the last two years, it might be longer. Time's all weird, but um, you. I guess in the recent in your recent life, what what has really bubbled up in the in um, um, not she already has a voice, but you sort of echoing that voice in your whether it's um, you've mentioned her on the podcast several yeah, times, yeah. Um, you know the the Sunday communion, um, whatever um, I've noticed in the last couple of years sort of her coming up for you as a, as a talking point. Mm. Um, and w- what do you think has inspired that for you personally? Uh, probably from that book, uh, the, I believe it was the last chapter. She talks about the underground Madonna, uh, and her encounter with this, this icon, I believe it was in Poland. I think she saw it in France, if I remember. Um, but it's the dark Madonna. I don't know mm. if you're familiar with that. Yeah but it's an icon of the Madonna and she's dark and there's a lot of theories about why uh, she's presented that way. Some uh, say it's an African connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, others say it's an indigenous African kind of connection. Then others uh, say it's just uh, time and, and candle smoke. <laughs> yeah, it's just of dark course. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. other people uh, think it's something more, mystical you know, okay it's dark madonna um and just and just for people that haven't seen it you can obviously google it yeah it's yeah. it's an icon of the of the virgin mary with dark skin yeah yeah which i put i went ahead and made a replica of one mm. and we have it in our chapel over there at the, at the other chapel at the uh, at the real chapel <laughs> <laughs> not the podcast and, and and so when i read that book it just uh that chapter for, for some reason this is one of those things where I just saw Our Lady of Guadalupe everywhere. She's a dark Madonna right. as well, an indigenous, yeah. an indigenous Madonna, and it's been a you know a, a, an image that saturates our culture here. It's been with me all my life, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and so I just started seeing it everywhere and and began to meditate on it. And so personally, it really opened up, uh, I guess what you'd call the divine feminine for me. Mm. on a very personal level yeah um and so that's that was about 2013 or so so 2014 um so that's been a very important development in my own heart well it's it's so interesting too because i never really understood whether it was like icons or statues or thing you know things of that nature religious art um and i know you and i've talked about it on this on this podcast, but, um, when it was explained to me to use it as a mirror, 
Mm, yeah. You know what I mean? And kind of see, see what it's actually reflecting. Like, obviously you, amazing art, you're going to stand there in awe anyways. Right. right. Yeah. But then to, to sort of flip it in that sense of like, well, what it's actually here to do is to, you know, uh, where's the dark Madonna within you? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like how is this? And it sounds like that was the process you went through. Absolutely. With yeah. that. Yeah. And, and a lot of, you know, my own, I think we did a podcast on the inner Pharisee, the inner critic, uh, you know, so when I, when I was with the charismatic, uh, crowd, uh, you know, that was frowned upon, you know, that's idolatry. Right. right, right, Talking to Mary is idolatry as they have the American flag in their church, (laughs) as they honor the military, as as if it can never be critiqued (laughs) in any sort of way, as they consider that, as they read the Patriot Bible (laughs) and as they take another collection. And so, uh, I was actually in a mega church in Arizona and, you know, and you could tell a church what they value. You can tell a home what they value, uh, by what's on their walls you know, the artwork that, yeah, that's right, around. Right, right. And, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I, w- I saw the Crystal Cathedral, uh, which was the, the original opulent mega church Is in America. In California? Yeah, of course. It's in, it was the richest county in the whole world. Oh, Orange County. Orange County. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Garden Grove, California. Uh, and they had a statue of Suffering Job in the front. So I just thought that was hilarious that's, yeah, that's when incredible. I was about 17. That's incredible. Uh, but this one in Arizona had nothing on the walls except for their uh, their money-raising uh, bars, uh, the the graph, the oh, bar graphs of yeah, how much yeah, yeah. money they were they were collecting. And that just says what they that's value, you know. And so anyway, I'm uh, no chip on my shoulder. Uh <laughs> And so, yeah, so there was, there was a lot of inward negativity, inward, uh, religious, uh, Pharisee in me that had to overcome and that, that divine feminine kind of experience. Well, I, I think it's, it's an important one too. What I, I'll never forget. So actually five years ago, right now I was on day two of the Camino. I had just started the pilgrimage. Oh, okay. um, and one of the most, so Spain really looks down on Mexico. It just, oh, really? Yeah. That it's I didn't know that. sort of a trash country in their eyes. Well, screw them then. Um, but one of the most, one of the cathedrals, and I wish I could remember which one, but um, the bishop at that time, and I might mess up the story a little bit, but he was born in Spain, but for some reason his family had spent a bunch of time in Mexico. Okay. And eventually he came back to Spain and, and I believe became the bishop of this region. Well, one of the things that he had fallen in love with in Mexico was Our Lady of Guadalupe. Mm. And I remember walking in and seeing it on the wall. There was this beautiful painting of Our Lady of Guadalupe and being like, this must be a mistake. <laughs> like, do what like am I, you know, am I missing something here? Yeah, yeah. And um and luckily, I just happened to overhear there was a tour guide going, you know, going through, and I just happened to overhear that part of the story, or maybe it was on a plaque. I might have read it now that I think about it. Um, but I, it was just it was amazing because, like you said, in this part of the country, we're surrounded by it, right? So we see it. See, yeah, you lady. grow up with it. Yeah, it, it's 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 something that's very near and dear in my heart. Yeah. Um, at first, as a cultural thing, but as I've gotten older, as a spiritual thing. 
for sure. Yeah, it's a comforting thing. If I see it on the uh, on a, a mural on a wall in downtown El Paso, or even some dusty place outside, you know, Socorro, New Mexico, or Socorro, Texas, uh, or Socorro, New Mexico, or New Mexico. Yeah, <laughs> either, either one. They're about the same. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, or if I see a tattoo on on a cholo's calf <laughs> on his on his leg, uh, it's a comforting thing to me. Or the amazing. Uh, Paintings on the low rider hoods. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It means yeah. So, it's very important to me. Yeah. And me too. It tells me I'm home. Well, know? and that's kind of how I felt seeing it, you know, because the last thing you uh, would expect yeah, yeah. to see in Spain is Our Lady of Guadalupe because yeah, they kind of turned so. their nose up at Mexico. Not yeah. necessarily that, but that, you know, she's part, you know, it's a Mexican. She's the guardian of Mexico and the uh, Americas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I can remember standing there and just, and just reflecting on that. What a significant... Oh. She's the mother of the new world. The old world wouldn't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Those old world boomers. Yeah, they're old. <laughs> oh, us us new world millennials. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just just, and I think I already knew it at the time. But just reflecting on it in that ran, uh, random uh, chapel. Of like, oh yeah, like wherever you go, you can be home, right? Like yeah. just those reminders of that stuff. And it it came because I could have pulled up my phone and looked at a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe, right? Yeah, but sure. The spontaneity of walking into that particular chapel on that particular day and seeing it, just it it I can remember it very much, um, touching my heart and soul, and. And, you know, I probably only stood in front of it for 10, 15, 20 minutes, maybe even less, right? Like the story always gets bigger as it ages. Right, right. But really being blown away for the next couple of days that that, that, was, that was there in that place. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was very, very humbling and, and, and necessary at that moment. Did you have something you wanted to? Oh, no, no. Okay. Okay. Um, so I, I guess, um, obviously this conversation is going to inspire some people to, to pick up some of these books. Um, but what would you recommend, uh, you know, sort of the too long didn't read people that, that might not pick up the books, but what are, you know, what are some of the aspects you could, you would you would uh, sort of deliver them as sort of the cliff notes of, of Barbara Brown Taylor's, um, her work. Yeah. Just like specific things from her work. I, I was going to say her essence, but that's kind of what we're talking about yeah. in this, in this overarching conversation. So I don't, I don't know what, uh, what, what might, uh, what jumps out to you as, as this pro- uh, conversation has progressed. Well, yeah, for, uh, Definitely the her last four or five books. Uh, I think starting with Leaving Church, the, these are very easy, you know, easy reads. They're very accessible. So Leaving Church, uh, An Altar in the World is the next one, I think. And then Learning to Walk in the Dark, the, kind of that trilogy. Mm. And there's one called Holy Envy, I think is her latest. Uh, I use her, she's, a, she's also the editor of a uh, liturgical Bible commentary. Oh, really? So if you're more Interesting. apt for studying, you know, uh, which I use, I use that mm-hmm. column. It's called Feasting on the Word. She's the main editor Interesting. Uh, I of no that. Um, yeah, and it, it takes, it's a very ambitious project. 
does the very ambitious does the the liturgy that she's commenting on i guess is it does it reflect well i guess because she's an episcopal priest yeah it follows the episcopal yeah which liturgy. which generally lines up with the roman catholic okay, and as well as the presbyterian the methodist yeah. all the mainline protestants i see okay. uh, yeah about 95% that's, yeah, that's the, just the ignorance on my part. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I know the Catholic Church liturgy, you know what I mean? Just because right. I grew up on it. There's a couple of, yeah, mismatched uh, readings. But there's four basic readings to uh, any Episcopalian service, as well as Roman Catholic or Presbyterian or United Methodist. There's usually four oh, readings. because they usually sing, in the Catholic Church, they usually sing this psalm. Right, the responsorial oh. psalm okay. is what they call it. So, so that's considered one of the four. Right. Okay, so you have okay, yeah. Okay. So you have a, a reading from the Jewish scriptures. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have a responsorial psalm, mm-hmm. uh, and then you have a uh, New Testament uh, Christian scriptures uh, episp- uh, from the epistles, usually Paul, uh, and then the gospel reading. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, she she's compiled a group of scholars who write. A commentary, amazing, and and it's based on uh, the first one is theological. What's the theological background of each of these readings? The second one is uh, pastoral mm-hmm. to take a pastoral approach. Uh, how does this speak to uh, regular everyday people to your everyday life? The third would be, uh, uh, I think it's in, in textual or uh, exegete. Uh, for the exegesis of it. How does it speak to other scriptures and the entire scriptural tradition? Uh, you know, how, do, how does it correlate to the whole, all the bi- other biblical themes? And I think the fourth is uh, liturgical itself. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, so all these, so it's, that's what I mean by it's very ambitious. Yeah. So yeah, she goes from popular writing to highly academic writing to help, you know, people that are uh, like us who are uh, trying to preach f- to five people every Sunday. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's hard to do to change it up like that. Oh, From yeah. Highly yeah. academic writing down to... Yeah, that's why I think she's an important dummies, figure. dummies you know? like me. That's <laughs> <laughs> why so I think she's so great. Yeah. Yeah. Hope she's listening, huh? Hey. Maybe she'll... <laughs> Maybe she'll take our phone call. <laughs> we have a book we would like you to read. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, she'll say, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. She's like, that's okay. You guys go back to nursery school. <laughs> and we will. <laughs> Respectfully so. Um, yeah, and, and just going back to that accessibility of, of it uh, is so so priceless because, you know, I know... Uh, over the years, that's one of the things, because I'm, I have this, I, I would say I have a similar desire to read as you, but I, I don't have the same, uh, uh, what would be the right, maybe training's the right word, right? I'm, we're very different in that way. I, my undergraduate's in accounting, yours is in, in oh, literature, yeah. you know what I mean? And so um, uh, just getting into dense readings, it can it's tough for me. It's probably tough for anybody, but it's just that sort of hitting that my head against the wall. You yeah. Know what I mean, and, and reapproaching it. And so having these people, um, you know, I think Richard Rohr is a good example of that to distill it down for someone, make it accessible yeah, for me to a wider you know, audience. Yeah. Obviously, uh, 
Barbara Brown Taylor, who we're talking about today. Um, I haven't read any of her, her books, but going through uh, sort of research for this episode and just reading excerpts from some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it just, the way it's, it's distilled down in, in um, accessible way, but there, it doesn't feel like uh, um, you're losing, there's not much lost there, right? right. Like um, on the spiritual side or the theological side, that, that stuff is still included in the yeah. presentation, which I think is super important because um, sometimes in the distilling process, um, it's just it's just dumbing it down. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. And it's sort of almost talking down to the audience, right? Which you can pick up in a book pretty pretty quickly. Yeah. And if and if someone's listening, and you're not a reader, and you're not going to, it's just not your thing. And 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 I'm sure a YouTube search. I'm sure mm-hmm. sermons and interviews she's done. I'm sure she's been a guest on many podcasts. That would be my guess. Uh, so yeah, I, I think you could find audio and visual kind of stuff on her as well. So yeah, I think you, you would benefit from it. Mm-hmm. So, um, we, we're still, we still got a little bit of time to go, but I'm really interested. Um, you know, like the, the black Madonna was a, was a beautiful, uh, example but are, were there any were there any other sort of mm, yeah. um examples of that where it just like yeah. something clicked for you like oh okay yeah she did use in that same book learning to walk in the dark she uh sets up another dichotomy of uh what was it a I, i'm probably gonna get it wrong but it's a uh, the difference the difference between exploring a wild cave and a tourist cave and applying that to your spirituality and your soul uh, and your life, how you plan your, you know, how you live your life, you know. So, so a, a, a tourist cave is has, has the path right. marked out for you. There's railings. There's lights. Uh, there's lights. There's uh, it's handicap accessible, as they say. Uh, there's elevators. Even if, you know, I'm just thinking about Carl's yeah, bad elevators. <laughs> some in some cases, and most most importantly, there's a gift shop <laughs> of some sort, yep, yep, and yep, a yep. and a lunch uh, diner, mm-hmm. uh, a lunch counter kind of place. You get a six dollars slice of pizza. <laughs> yeah, three dollars slice of bologna. Uh, you can tell it's been a while since I've been to Carl's bad caverns. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so there's so yeah, and then apply that to how you're living your life. And then there's the wild cave, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know, the dark is palpable. See, because my favorite part about Carlsbad is that and yeah, I think you have to pay extra, at least you had to when I went, and it's been a long, long I was yeah. just looking at some photos and oh, the okay. kids are like the kids are like five, six years oh, old. Wow. So it's been that long long. That's crazy. Um yeah. since I've been there. Um yeah, and uh, I, I forgot where I was going with that. You're going to tell the story about when they turn. Oh off. yeah, I think you have to pay extra, and they do, sit quietly to, and they turn off the lights, mm-hmm. and you only get like less than a minute, you know. And yeah, it's it's a quick. And it's the best thing about the whole thing. It really captured my imagination mm-hmm. as a kid when uh, uh, it was a Jim White who's credited with. Yeah, I don't I don't remember uh, the, the full story. But he worked. So there was a a bat guano operation working at the mouth of the cave in the 1800s, early 1900s. So he worked there all week uh, shoveling bat crap. 
And, Literally. Yeah. <laughs> and then on weekends, he would explore the cave and go down deeper. And, and just this idea of him spending the night alone in this cave where you can't, the only thing you can hear are, uh, is water dripping. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, and it's complete blackness. Uh, that's, that really captured my attention as a, as a kid. Um, yeah, when they flip the lights off and, and I mean, it's, your eyes are wide open. Yeah, there's and you see nothing. Exactly. What nothing. an experience. It's a great experience. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And they don't yeah, and you don't get it enough, right? And so yeah. a wild cave, that's exactly what that's you all you get. Yeah. Well, you unless know. you take a light, but yeah. Still. And uh and so so applying that to your spirituality and how you approach your life uh, would you know it's very powerful. It's a so, very powerful metaphor. So I guess I don't fully understand for the wild cave and applying it to spirituality. Can you yeah, so the one would be the solar spirituality. Everything's predictable. There are uh, oh, easy answers. Well, you know, you just need to pray more. You know, you're depressed. You just need Have to read, read the Bible. <laughs> yeah, just read the Bible and you'll be better. Uh, these these certitudes that you find uh, that that kind of dissolve into, uh, devolve into platitudes, meaningless right, platitudes. Right, right. Um, glad it worked for you, preacher. Right, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. So that would be a solar spirituality. That would be the the, the tourist cave, um, a spirituality that looks like more. It puts more on the outward appearance yeah, of, of being spiritual. So you end up being a larper, a spiritual larper, uh, more than uh, what you've actually experienced. Whereas the wild cave, you're dealing with some uncertainties. You're dealing with with non-answers mm-hmm. uh you're you're walking through darkness so to speak the mystery of the cave yeah and and you know the religious pharisee would say hey the scriptures say uh you know god is light and there's no darkness in god at all uh and that's you know and and they're, they're talking about a moral darkness there they're not talking mm-hmm. about certitudes and answers mm-hmm. uh you know faith is not about it's the opposite yeah. you know faith is not about certitude it's about uh, choosing to go forward in uncertainty, you know? And so, but and the popular you, definition these days is that it's certitude. And you bring the faith with you into those uncertainties. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's a wild cave in that sense. You don't know what exactly you're going to encounter. Uh, and by the way, even if the metaphor still works, if God is all light, that's there's still a darkness yeah. in that light because it's gonna catch if, if you were in... Uh, uh, Antarctica and it's full sunlight and it's all whited out with snow and ice uh, you would become blind at that point you're walking in the dark mm-hmm. just the same in, in that kind of blinding light and so uh, so it's kind of the same kind of metaphor anyway no that's that's um, that's beautiful too because I, I think it's it's hard to grasp our our um, modern day life around not having, and I'm not even talking about religion or spirituality. I'm just talking about when you turn on the water, you expect the water to come on. When you flip the light on, you expect the light to come on. Right. And um, you expect there to be plenty of food. You know, if you go to the grocery store, to a restaurant, so on and so forth. So for us to sort of step away from that and into that uncertainty, uncertainty of the wild cave um you know where 
countless of our yours and I generations and every other human yeah. had to live in, right? And had to encounter day after day after day, whether it was yeah. animals entering the cave, you know what I mean? Not not knowing when your next meal is gonna come, you yeah. know, until you go out there and, and get it, whether it's um plants or hunting or whatever else and and just um you know so i it not that it's impossible but i i think for for us to have that idea of the wild cave but if you if you contemplate on your life on you know it's, it's unpredictable you know because there will be times where the water doesn't come on there will be yeah. times when the electricity comes. and usually it's a simple fix because we live in the modern world but yeah. Um, just because we think something is certain, uh, it actually isn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and that's terrifying for a lot of people, and it, myself included. Yeah. And that's, you know, modern Christianity or maybe even modern, I mean, medieval period onward. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times what we've done is uh, domesticated Jesus. Mm. We've domesticated God. Uh, made a um, made him safe, made him a he, uh, and and again, yeah, this predictable world, and uh, and so the wildness of this deity has been stripped away, mm -hmm. and, and you know, but if you if you reread it, you could rewild it, yeah. you know, and and your life will be rewilded, so to speak, and there might be some unusual and spectacular gifts that would come, so. Well, I think that's the power of nature, right? Just going out in nature, um, not even into, you know, even if you just go to the like the Forest Service nature where there's still yeah, walking yeah. paths and things of that nature, right? But spending time in the bigger idea of nature, yeah, um, at least for me has always uh, helped me rewild my life, so to speak. Um, so we got a few minutes left. I don't know if there's anything uh, you wanted to to add on or leave us with as, as we get, uh, get closer to the, to the time here. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, uh, you know, just try to listen to some coyotes or something, <laughs> go rewild your life in a way, go sit in the dark and yeah. see, see what would happen. Um, I like to see the dark, you know, especially when, when you're on a road trip, and you're driving at night in the middle of nowhere in the desert somewhere in the West. And, uh, it's so dark out there and you can't see anything out there, your window. Right. Uh, so to me, that gives me the idea that anything is possible. Then mm -hmm. everything can be out there, mm -hmm. uh, in that nothingness. And so, so that, that's, you know, it's a pretty amazing thing. Yeah. It's a powerful, powerful, uh, imagery for sure. Um, well, thank you, my friend. Thank you. Um, thank you, Barbara Brown Taylor. Yeah, I was going to say also <laughs> thank you, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor. Um, her her website um, that I that I read off of earlier um, is just barbarabrowntaylor.com. So super simple. Uh, she has all her books listed there. So if you want to go support her and and um, she does not approve of us or know of us. Yeah. So. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> She has no idea who we are. It'll she may reject this. Way. <laughs> she may reject this endorsement. I don't know. But um, if she cared at all. But yeah, if this piqued your interest, definitely uh, recommend her books and um, even just checking out her website. There's there's some uh, some pretty cool information there. So uh, thank you to Jacob Nedia. 
So what you hear in the background with Monk Drums. Uh, thank you, Danny West, uh, for editing um, the podcast. And uh, always thank you, Mr. David Morrison. Thank you, Mr. Mason. And uh, thank you all for listening. And we'll call it an episode.